Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take a second and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, and your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 48. Rick Rushell episode of this podcast, who wore number 48 the first time I ever experienced the Cubs in contention back in 1984. What a great year that was. Right now, Cubs baseball is all about increasing the sense of urgency. The buffer the Cubs have to just let guys not perform while they figure things out is pretty much gone. Say Suzuki has found the bench a lot more often, Patrick Wisdom's playing time is way down, and the Cubs are getting a big boost from some unexpected guys, like in particular Mike Talkman. This week I talk about that increasing sense of urgency and what it's going to mean for the Cubs as they continue to fight for a potential spot in the postseason. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. What a difference a year can make. Right now the Cubs sit at 59-56 and heading into a series against the Toronto Blue Jays up in Toronto this weekend. Last year at this time the Cubs were 45-65, and going nowhere. They had just made some trades but didn't trade the guys they expected to deal with the deadline. And it was right around this time last year that the Cubs announced that Jason Hayward would not be returning to action last season and would be let go for this season. So there was the sort of the beginning of, I guess, a bit of a sense of urgency. So one thing that I want to talk about this week, the last two years when the Cubs have been playing but not really playing for anything, there's not a lot of urgency. So I remember last year seeing a lot of Twitter and social media and other discussion about man, what are the Cubs doing with this bullpen move or that bullpen move or why didn't they go to this guy in the ninth? It didn't matter. They were just trying things out. They they had guys they wanted to see if guys were dudes. That's why Frank Schwindel played so much last year. Um, They toyed around with Brandon Hughes closing. They had Mark Leiter Jr. in the pen in a bunch of different roles. They tried out the closer role in a number of different guys. It just really didn't matter. Like they were, they were trying to line things up. They were taking a shot. Hopefully, some guys stuck. But it didn't really matter if they won that game. And then coming into this year, you know, there's kind of an increasing sense of urgency as the season goes along. You start, you know, opening day. You want to win opening day. You want to get off to a good start. But it's the first of 162. It's not a must-win game. You can lose opening day and recover. Now, this year the Cubs won opening day, but, you know, throughout the season, I've seen a lot of sentiment from fans about, wow, this is a must-win game. We've got to finish the sweep on this series, or we've got to win this series. And I feel it, and it matters, and certainly they can't, you can't have that many must-win games, but you have to win some of them. I mean, you can't get to game 115, where the Cubs are now, or 116, and not have won any of them. But each individual game, like, you know, the Cubs have missed opportunities. We've talked about it on this podcast. The Cubs, you know, got swept by Miami and went in and lost three out of four to the Nationals. It was a huge missed opportunity. I mean, it turns out the Marlins are pretty good this year. 
But still, that's a huge missed opportunity, and those are games you have to make up later. So when the Cubs right now are sitting a couple games out of the wild card or a couple games out of the division, you can look back on that losing five out of six stretch and think, man, we won two, three of those games. All of a sudden, like we're right there with the division lead right now. On the flip side, though, you know, the Cubs have won series against Baltimore. They beat Tampa Bay two out of three. They just last weekend beat the Braves two out of three. Like they've had really good series against good baseball teams. So that sense of this one individual game is one we absolutely have to win, you know, just isn't reality. But as the season goes, like there was an increase in urgency heading into the trade deadline. You know, the, the Cubs were in a position where it looked like they could go either way, be buyers, be sellers. And, and it went down and you know, talked about that last week. It went down to the last couple weeks to get kind of push the front office to make their decision. And they made the decision to buy. And there have been a couple pieces out. There was a good one um, on Cubs Insider by Evan Altman today that I saw talking about how the Cubs sort of bullied the front office into buying. Now, I don't know that they necessarily had to bully the front office into buying. I think Jed always did. I mean, people have talked throughout the year about this team was designed to sell. It wasn't designed to sell. It was designed to try to compete. I could argue they didn't do enough. But if they were designed to sell, they don't extend Nico Happ in the first month of the season. They were designed to put together a team to kind of tide things over until more prospects come up and do so in such a way that if things didn't go well, then you had pieces you could sell. Um, I think that's a, it's a big difference. It's not nearly the same as being all in or having that sort of urgency from the off season forward, but they made good strides and we're seeing that now. You know, last year at this point, I already said the Cubs were 45 and 65. They didn't win their 59th game until September 12th, when ironically they beat the Mets and uh, Pete Alonso did not homer. How the hell did that happen? Maybe maybe the Cubs didn't pitch to Pete Alonso that day, but he went one for four with uh, no RBIs, no bombs, which would have been really nice this week. But we won't spend too much time talking about the Mets. That was a it was a rough series. The Cubs got blown out in game one. I suppose that's somewhat predictable they had uh the big series against atlanta over the weekend then you travel play a night game in new york new york jumped them 10-2 wasn't good i'm not even gonna say it was fine but you know sometimes those things happen and i think it was another example of having that urgency you know that was kind of the last straw drew smiley in the starting rotation the Cubs announced this week that he's going to be going to the bullpen, and it's been it's been a while coming, and I understand the desire to keep him in. I mean, to start the season, he was super, super hot, and we're going to get more into pitcher workloads later, but you know, he got off to a really good start and just really kind of struggled for a while, and I know it's it's a little bit difficult right now with Stroman being hurt, but I think sending him to the pen is sort of the only move, but that is kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that sense of urgency. You know, once you're competing, once you decide you're in, and the Cubs decide they're in, they didn't go, they didn't go all in. They didn't trade for Shohei Otani. They didn't sell their top five prospects for you know veteran arms. Um, we'll get into it later. I, I kind of wish they would have done a little bit more in the relief front uh, to shore up the bullpen, but they're in. They didn't. They didn't bail. They didn't subtract anything from this team at the trade deadline, and that matters. You know, the last time the Cubs played meaningful baseball this late in the season was. 29 and I'll drop the COVID season out because it was only 60 games long and it was a weird season 
But the last normal season where they played meaningful baseball was four years ago. It's 2019. The Cubs were three and a half games up on August 8th. They were last in first place on August 22nd. And they were really hanging right around there with the Cardinals and the Brewers until September 17th when they went on a, they were two games behind the Cardinals and that started a seven game losing streak. They wound up finishing 84 and 78, five games out of the division and seven games back of the wild card. Sorry, that's backwards. Five games out of the wild card, seven games out of the division. And that season, that ending sucked. I mean, that was the famous, the or the infamous, the offense's broken season. That was when Javi Baez got hurt late in the season and Nico Horner had to come up and make a debut after his uh, AA season that had already ended. Um, it was good to see him up there at that point, but you know, the Cubs didn't get it done. They lost some big games in St. Louis to end the year. And it was just a kind of a painful way to go out. And really, that was probably, even though they had the division championship in 2020, that year was so weird. That 2019 season was probably really the sort of the end of the old core, at least the end of their run of success. And so now the last two years, you know, the Cubs have been sellers and playing, frankly, meaningless baseball at the end of the season. I don't know how you watch baseball and everybody you know, roots for the team in their own way. But I'm somebody who I, I follow the results daily. Obviously now I have a podcast, so I follow it in a different way than I used to. But the when the Cubs are good, I want to watch every game. I don't want to skip to the end. I don't want to see the score and go back and watch highlights. I want to watch as many of the games as possible because I love that pitch to pitch, the inning to inning, the batter to batter drama of it all. I want to feel that feeling that, you know, they're down two runs in the seventh, but they've had a bunch of good at-bats today, and I'm fairly confident that they have a good chance to make a rally late. And I want to see if they do it. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. You know, I really enjoyed the game against the Mets on Wednesday. I was fully confident the Cubs were going to win that game, and they made the rally. Say I got the home run, they got the guys on base. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but the bunt decision with Madrigal, personally, I'm a 50-50 there. I'm not a bunt guy. I think 95% of the time you don't give you don't want to give up the out. Giving up the out is the loser play. That's kind of the one scenario though and with Madrigal up to bat or Madrigal pinch hitting for Amaya that I think Amaya is a pretty solid double play candidate. And with Madrigal, he doesn't hit into a ton of double plays, but he does hit the ground on the hit the ball on the ground a lot. And so when he came up, I thought it was kind of a 50-50 decision bunt or not bunt. I wouldn't have been mad either way. I thought it was a perfectly defensible decision to bunt. Madrigal is a guy who can bunt. And, you know, if, if you really look at the scoring probability numbers, you know, it's about 63% likely to score when you're first and second, nobody out. And at second and third, one out, the probability actually goes up to 68%. So that's one of those few times where even taking the out and moving the runners along does statistically help you. I know there was a lot of criticism over the decision because Christopher Morell and Ian Happ are big strikeout guys, but they did have Nico Horner lined up in between. And, you know, Morell just had a bat at bat. He does that sometimes. He's a young player. He's learning. Um, he's had a couple of those lately, and that's something where, you know, he got down two strikes with, you know, the pitcher aiming, going for the top of the zone to strike out pitcher against Morell, which is a potentially inherent K matchup. But strike three was a fastball right down the middle. It's pretty clear that Morel was guessing at something. He was looking for some sort of off-speed pitch, didn't get it, and got locked up on the fastball. It happened. It's unfortunate. It's something the team can still recover from. That was not a – it was it was a loss that didn't help anything for sure. 
Um, and there are no good losses at this point in the season. But that's not a catastrophic one. But even then, you know, so then there's two outs and Nico Horner's up. And the Mets, of course, we're going to probably pitch around Nico Horner, which they did. And I brought up Hap. And, you know, Hap, un, kind of uncharacteristically, I think he was just trying to be aggressive to drive the run in. But um, he swung at some pitches high and out of the zone, fouled a couple off, and then wound up striking out. And so that's how that game ended. It's disappointing, and the guys have to execute. But I don't really put it on the bunt decision. I think... I think if you're putting that much attention on the bunt decision, I would raise some other larger questions. Like, why did the Cubs continue to pitch to Pete Alonso all series? He had he drove in more runs in the series at 10, and the Cubs scored eight the entire series. The Cubs just kept going after him. And, I, you know, Hendricks had a really good at-bat against him. I think it was the fifth with the bases loaded. There was nowhere to put him, so he had to pitch to him and got the ground ball out to end the inning. But there was, I don't know. Pitch around him more early in the game. He's clearly hot. He kills the Cubs in general. So I don't know. That and the inability to score against those Mets pitchers more than two runs before the ninth inning, I think those are way bigger problems or things to second guess than whether or not Nick Madrigal bunted in the ninth. But that's just my own soapbox. As I said on a tweet at some point this week, um, you know, I was pretty ambivalent about the decision, and I thought it was a 50-50 call, and I've already spent way too much time talking about it. But so getting back to the sense of urgency, and it, really it's the sense of urgency at this point in the season that puts so much attention on a play like that, right? I mean, if the Cubs are out of it, eh, maybe you shouldn't have bunted. Maybe it's a dumb call. Maybe it's a dumber call if they're way out of it, but still, who cares? Nobody's watching. Um but I like to get hung up on these games. I love that sense of the, the drama as the game goes. And I also tend to be one who stays up later than everybody else in my house. So if the Cubs play and I'm hanging out with family, we're having dinner, we're out doing something, kids have something, it's all good. I will just uh, stay off Twitter, ignore the updates on my phone, and come home and fire the game up at 10 o'clock. It's great. I love watching those games. You know, I wasn't doing that last year. Last year as we're hanging out, you know, I'm sort of tracking game day. You know, this time last year, I was still running the podcast, so I still had to know what the Cubs were doing every day. I still had to know what people were talking about, but, you know, I didn't have to invest that time. Now I want to. Meaningful baseball is fun. I said that last week, and I'm, I'm so happy right now that we have it. I mean, we'll see how long the Cubs stay in this race. I don't see any reason to assume they're going to drop out. I mean, I think the... Cubs right now are better than the Reds are. I think they're better than the Brewers are. They're going to have to prove it on the field and get things done. And you know, there there is something to the idea that you know when you're playing catch up, you have to expend a lot of energy to get caught up. And the Cubs are close and haven't quite. They have reached the third spot in the wild card. They have not yet reached a tie for the division lead, but that can be coming. And I just want to see this team continue to play good, solid baseball, not overstress over a particular loss, not put undue importance on any one series. I mean, I I came into this road trip hoping for four and two, but, you know, three and three would be fine. I sort of was thinking it'd be the other way around, maybe win the Mets series two to one and then maybe lose the Toronto series two to one. But it's, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's fine. If, if the Cubs don't go out, you know, they can't go out this weekend and get swept by Toronto. That would hurt a lot. I'm not going to say they're, any individual game this weekend is a must-win, but not getting swept is 
still not a must. I mean, there's still seven weeks of baseball left. But, you know, as I've said throughout the season, every opportunity you give away is something you're going to have to get later. So it's going to put more pressure on something down the line if they can't get things done this weekend. But I think, you know, the Cubs are where they want to be. And I think one of the reasons they got here is I think there's been an increasing sense of urgency since the start of the season. I think when you look at the roster to start the season, there were some head-scratching decisions. I mean, Seiya Suzuki started on the injured list, and they only really went to camp with or went to opening day with two outfielders. They were trying to fill right field with a combination of Miles Mastroboni and Patrick Wisdom and Trey Mancini. Clearly didn't. I mean, the Cubs played okay ball in, in April, but that or in, yeah, in April, but that certainly cost them some games. And they were carrying Edwin Rios, who hardly ever played, and they were the Cubs do like their third catchers, and they were carrying the third catcher in Luis Torrens. But again, like he rarely played. And so there were just a lot of at bats that I guess I'll say felt wasted. Now I was always higher on Miles Mastroboni than a lot of you were, but you know, again, he he didn't hit early in the season. He started to turn on in July. And I think look really good. I saw he had a 400 plus foot home run to dead center last night to kind of set up an eight run inning for the Iowa Cubs. But when you, you know, on the whole, there have been a lot of players getting at bats that honestly probably shouldn't. I mean, when I look at the Cubs offensive stats and I look at on the whole season, they've had 4,430 plate appearances by Cubs hitters. I don't think it's any surprise that Nico Horner leads the way with 11% of those. Haps second at 11, or 11%, but a couple percentage, a couple decimal points behind Nico Horner. Dansby Swanson's at 10%. He'd be a little bit higher, except, you know, he had the injury where he missed time. You know, Seiya Suzuki's at 9%. Again, until recently when he hasn't been playing as much, you know, he missed a month to start the season. Bellinger's at 8%. Um, He missed a month in the middle. Christopher Morel, you know, was first spent the first six weeks of the season or so in in the minor leagues, and he's at seven percent of their plate appearances. So it really, you know, those are their top six. And now with the addition of Candelario, who's way down in terms of the Cubs because he's only been here a few games, but those are the guys who carry the freight offensively. Um, Talkman now is up to six percent, and when you look at the guys who are you know no longer with the team or no longer in Major League Baseball at all. Sorry, no longer with the Major League team or no longer with the organization. You know, 702 at-bats went to guys who just aren't around anymore. I mean, Trey Mancini leads the way with 263 plate appearances before he was let go. Um, Miles Mastroboni at 113. He's now with AAA. Eric Hosmer got his 100 plate appearances before, you know, he was sent packing in favor of Matt Mervis, who got 99 plate appearances before he was sent down. And then you just had a bunch of stuff. Like Nelson Velasquez got 32. Edwin Rios got 34. Jared Young got 39. You know, just a lot of variability in the lineups, a lot of mixing and matching, trying to figure out how things go. Um, Nick Madrigal has gone, and Patrick Wisdom have gone back and forth between playing every day, platooning. They've both missed time with injuries. And so it's it's been kind of a, I guess, a bit of a roller coaster. But what's interesting now is if you look at, you know, this sense of urgency, the Cubs have shown a willingness to get rid of guys. 
You know, they moved on. Luis Torrens was a guy they liked out of spring training, and I understood sort of why they liked him. I never really understood why they carried him on the roster and didn't play him. That never really made sense to me. Kind of the same with Edwin Rios. But Rios had options. You know, I, I understood Torrens making the team because he didn't have options. So if they liked him out of spring training and wanted to sort of give a shot and see what they saw, okay, fine. You know you're not going to carry him the whole season if he's not going to get done. And the, and the Cubs wound up letting him go. And the Cubs moved on from Eric Hosmer. He's making league minimum, so it was easy. But it was still you know, a veteran name they brought in and a guy that I think everybody liked in the clubhouse. And so maybe it wasn't the easiest of moves. And that continued. You know, Edwin Rios has largely been in the minors. Again, like Rios too. Like why wasn't he playing more just to see? But he hasn't done that well at Iowa either. He's now off the 40-man. He was outrighted to Iowa, I think, 30th of July. You know, Nelson Velazquez got some shots. He came up and hit a huge grand slam and comeback win over Seattle. It was just epic. Um, he's now been traded to Kansas City for Jose Quas, who's putting up some meaningful innings in the bullpen. But you just have these guys that, you know, the Cubs brought up, took a look. They saw something or didn't and then moved on. And... The fact that they, you know, cut Jason Hayward last year, the fact they cut Trey Mancini this year, the fact that they've now recently benched Seiya Suzuki um, against right-handers, you know, is, I think it's a sign that they're playing with more urgency than they were really at any time last year. And of course, because now they're an independent race and last year they weren't. What's interesting to me is I look at the lineups and fan graphs, you know, has a breakdown where you can kind of look at the lineups They'll map out lineups day by day, and you can just see where the colors don't change. And you know, one thing that really stands out is against right-handed pitching. Since he came up, Mike Talkman has really consistently been the leadoff hitter since June 10th, which is he has led off 34 of 35 games against right-handed pitching. And today is going to be 35 out of 36. I've seen the lineup, uh, the games tonight, and in. Every one of those 35 games where Mike Talkman has been lead off, Nico Horner's batted second. And in 18, now 19 of those games, Ian Happ has batted third. There was a stretch to start where Ian Happ was batting fourth and say it was third. But now for the this will be the 14th game in a row against a right-hander where Happ's batting third and Bellinger's batting cleanup. You know, and the last eight now have been Dansby Swanson at at five. So one of the things early in the season I think a lot of fans were frustrated by was just the constant churn in the lineup. You know, you were seeing Gomes and Barnhart pretty well platoon. You were seeing a lot of Hosmer, a lot of Mancini, a lot of Wisdom, Madrigal. And it was just a constant kind of flux. When I look back at the first half of the season, you know, kind of all games, it was pretty consistently Nico 1 and Dansby 2 for the first couple months of the season. Um, Hap was mostly 3. But after that, it was it was really all over the place. Sometimes it'd be Bellinger, sometimes it'd be Mancini at four, Suzuki, sometimes Wisdom at four. You know, we've seen Jan Gomes hit anywhere from four to nine. It just was kind of all over the board. And as the season's gone on, it's gotten more consistent. And that's something I think a lot of fans wanted to see, like just get something together and let guys know where they're going to be and, and let it kind of settle. And as they did that, the Cubs played better baseball. I don't think that that, is really all that shocking. Now, against lefties, the Cubs have been more inconsistent. Um, you know, the against lefties, 
we're pretty much seeing since May 19th. Every game against the lefty has had Nico Horner lead off, except for the game against Max Freed last Friday against the Braves when Horner got the day off and Madrigal let off. And then second through all those games was, you know, was Dansby until mid-June. And then, you know, it was a lot of Seiya Suzuki. And now lately, you know, Seiya's been a little bit lower and been out a little bit more. Hep a lot of third. But, it, you know, you don't see a lot of consistency there. And I think it's a combo of both. I think they haven't had success, so they keep tinkering with the lineup. But also tinkering with the lineup could contribute to the lack of success. But I think it's clear that they're playing with more urgency and we're seeing that in the pitching too. I mean, Drew Smiley getting assigned to the bullpen takes him out of the rotation. It means they're, you know, we're past the trade deadline. The Cubs are not going to pick up somebody from another organization unless somebody gets released or the Cubs claim somebody off waivers and the odds of somebody claiming the odds of somebody outright releasing somebody who's better as a starting pitcher than Drew Smiley it's pretty low at this point. If they do it, it's going to be somebody with a big contract attached. And I don't know if the Cubs would want to do that. And I think Tom Ricketts made it pretty clear during the trade deadline that money was there if Jed felt the need. And I think Jed, as much as he thinks the Cubs are building it on the way, I think this is not a year where he wants to burn going over the CBT, which you know I can be critical of that to some degree. But there's, just isn't going to be help coming from another organization. So if you're taking Smiley out of the rotation, that means you're going to put some trust in some combination of Javier Assad, Hayden Wesneski, Caleb Killian is up now. We could potentially see Ben Brown when he comes back from the injured list, you know, in AAA. But those are probably the guys. And I think I think Javier deserves it. He has been so good. Uh, he's been so consistent out of the pen. I mean, everybody has a bad outing here and there, but... They have been, he's been such a welcome bit of relief in those days where the Cubs starter doesn't, doesn't get through it. He, he has come in for Stroman a couple times lately, Smiley, and done a great job. So I'm looking forward to his start tonight. Um, I know he's not fully stretched out because he's been more in a bullpen role, but I would love to see him be able to go five innings. And if he can go five innings and five pretty successful innings, you know, the Cubs bullpen is... A little bit rested right now. They, uh, you know, look, looking at the uh, pitching usage over the last couple of weeks, you know, probably the only one that's not available right now is maybe Jose Quas. I mean, nobody played yesterday because they had the off day, but Quas did throw 36 pitches in two innings on Wednesday. But everybody else, I mean, you know, Merriweather threw when Tuesday and Wednesday, but. You know, Wednesday he only threw three pitches and it was off yesterday. Daniel Palencia threw a really rough inning, 37 pitches on Monday. But now he hasn't pitched in three days. Caleb Killian hasn't pitched since Monday. Wisniewski only threw 14 pitches Wednesday. I mean, so I think the bullpen's pretty fresh. So if, if Assad can get the Cubs through five and the Cubs can be in the game, I think the Cubs have the bullpen to get through it. Um. One thing the Cubs are going to have to watch, though, in addition to the starting pitching, so now they're going to have to take somebody out of their pen or somebody out of the minor league system and put them in the rotation. And that's, you know, it's the fifth starter. So across baseball, the fifth starter is not necessarily expected to go deep consistently. That's a guy you're hoping to get five, maybe six innings from. If you can get a quality start, that's pretty much a win. But, you know, when you look at the Cubs bullpen, then look at the Cubs bullpen usage, we've got 
Mark Leiter Jr. with 50 appearances. He's on pace for 70. Merriweather's got 50, again, on pace for 70. Fulmer's at 49 appearances, on pace for 69, which would be nice for him. Alzelay has 44 appearances, on pace for 62. And for Leiter Jr., Merriweather, and Alzelay, they're already past their career high in appearances. So they're pitching well, and, and I hope they continue to go. But as these games get more urgent, and I know as more importance is placed on each and every individual game, it's going to feel to fans in the front office and the team and Ross that they're better off going to the higher leverage guys as often as possible. And David Ross is pretty clear about his circle of trust. Right now, his circle of trust is those four guys. Jose Quas has thrown well, so he he may find his way in there, and that may be a really important thing because the Cubs didn't add a lot at the deadline. But they did add Quas, and he's looked pretty good. So if he can go in and take some of that load off, that'd be really helpful. If Drew Smiley can go in and, you know, he's probably not going to take leverage innings, at least to start. But if he can go, you know, he doesn't have great lefty splits. Like, he's not a guy who's, you know, in the old days would have been the old loogie to come in and face, you know, one left-hander and get them out. But if he can take some of those innings and maybe the the sixth or the seventh where there are a couple left-handed hitters coming up, like, that could be really valuable. But, you know, you kind of have to wonder how, how these guys are going to hold up. I'm optimistic. They're not showing signs of breaking down. But, you know, when you're got three of those four guys already past their career high in volume, it can be a lot, especially as those games get more important. They're going to tend to be a little more amped up, maybe throw a little bit harder. Um, so hopefully those guys can, can stick it through. It's going to be really important, especially if the Cubs can get Marcus Stroman back. Um, start to get through these dog days, get through the hottest days of the summer. If Justin Steele can continue to be consistent, if Marcus Stroman can get back, to, he's not going to get back to being you know career best probably. Um, that two-month stretch he had to start the season was probably the best stretch of his entire career. If he can get back to where he's consistently throwing six innings, occasionally going deeper, like that's going to make a huge impact on this bullpen. And then as the Cubs continue to work on the offensive side, it's going to be important to get a couple of the guys back, like Saya and Hap, who maybe aren't as hot as they could be, have not been having the seasons we maybe expected from them. Saya had a really nice game on Thursday, or on Wednesday against the Mets. He went three for four at a homer and a triple. Um, he really looked good. He was hitting the ball hard. Three of his four balls were hit over 100 miles an hour. And he elevated. You know, that's been kind of the biggest thing for him. He's He's notoriously picky at the plate so he he does get a lot of his walks are up this year his k's are a little bit up but not that much up from last year but he just tends to work a lot of deep counts and he has a, he does have a propensity this year to hit the ball more on the ground like is that his launch angles are not what they were last year so he's had fewer barrels he's not getting the sweet spot quite as often but his hard hit rates are still pretty solid i mean if you look at say a suzuki on StatCast, I mean, he's still 80, 86th percentile average exit velocity, 94th percentile max exit velocity, 87th percentile hard hit percentage. You know, a lot of the rest of his numbers, his barrels are down. Whiff rate's a little bit down, but it's still a pretty good whiff rate, 66th percentile. Still doesn't chase often, 91st percentile for chase rate, um, which sometimes for him leads to more called third strikes, which we've seen probably too much of this year. Um, good arm strength, you know, 
good outfielder jump. He's he's played a pretty solid outfield this year, but on the whole, it's just not quite all come together. And I think his season has not been right from the start. But if the Cubs can get him back to anything close to what he was at the end of last year for the stretch run, that's gonna, that's going to be huge for this team. Because right now the Cubs have a lot of versatility. I talked about Mike Talkman, you know Cody Del Mendo from the CHGO podcast is sort of tagged. This is the the summer of Mike Talkman. And it has been. I mean, he's been great. I mean, he's a career journeyman, fourth outfielder kind of player. But he's just had consistent good at bat after good at bat after good at bat. He's playing a good center field. I'll never forget him with the walk-off game-saving home run robbery in St. Louis. Um, he's really been spectacular. So, you know, if Say is not going to hit, or if Ian Happ's not going to hit, Mike Talkman can play center field. He can play right field. He can play left field. Cody Bellinger can play first base or he can play center. Frankly, Cody can Cody won his gold glove in right field, so he can play other positions too. Jamer Candelario has been great since the Cubs picked him up. He can play first base or third base. It's been pretty wild, actually. It was He came over. He's played first base in his career, but he came over and the Cubs immediately put him in first base and Ross said he was going to play a good amount of first base and he's been borrowing Miguel Amaya's first base mitt because he didn't have one. But he's been doing a great job over there. It's given them some flexibility to play Nick Madrigal at third base, who Nick continues to hit pretty well. He's been in a bit of a slump lately, but on the whole, you know, we're, we've been seeing more of the Nick Madrigal we wanted to see than not. We'll see where that goes. But if you know, if he goes into any kind of extended slump, then it's easy enough to just put Candelario back at third, let Bellinger play more first base. And then you've got you can fill the outfield with Talkman, and especially if Saya's hitting, you can certainly fill right field with Saya. It bodes for the future. And one thing that's been interesting is the Cubs have opened up a couple forty man spots. As the season goes, depending on the sense of urgency, they could go some really interesting directions with those last couple roster spots. Obviously, anybody who's on the forty man could get a call up, but you know it does kind of pave the way that maybe maybe we get to the end of August or early September and we add. Pete Crow Armstrong to the 40-man roster, and he's probably not going to come up and play every day. That's, you know, at this point, I would not put a rookie, you know, with just a week or two of AAA time in to start center field in the middle of a playoff race over a red-hot Mike Talkman and Cody Bellinger. But late in the season, you know, maybe he becomes that 25th guy on your bench or 26th guy on your bench, and he's available as a defensive replacement. He's available to pinch run late in the game. Um, you get a good matchup against a right-hander and you want to put him in there and let him do his thing. Like, it's a pretty cool opportunity to kind of energize the guys and, and give some guys a break, especially if some guys are slumping. Um, they also have some options at pitcher. You know, Ben Brown, when he comes off the injured list, he might be somebody that can bring up and help out in the bullpen. Caleb Killian is now up to help out in the bullpen. Depending on what they do and when Marcus Stroman comes back, you know, I don't know if Assad keeps just staying in the Marcus Stroman spot in the rotation and then Stroman takes over Smiley's spot. Because at this point, once you're in season, you've got off days, it doesn't really matter one through five. You can number it however you want. You know, Steele right now is, is clearly the number one. If Stroman's back healthy, he's number two. You're probably calling Hendricks number three. You know, so on and so forth. But the question will be, what do they do with that last spot? I, I assume unless he struggles, Assad's going to get that rotation spot once Stroman's back. But, you know, Hayden Wisniewski is there as an option, and so is Killian. Both of those guys have been stretched out and pitched pretty well at Iowa. Killian, the biggest concern right now is kind of his swing and miss rate. He's not missing a lot of bats. 
he had good numbers in AAA. So if he's locating, and that's been his number one problem when he's been in the bigs, is location. He will throw strikes. It's not like he's walking everybody, but he just gets hammered. And the last time we saw him, he gave up, I want to say it might have been five runs in the first inning, wound up giving up seven in four innings. Maybe it was seven in the first. But in that game, I do recall that he really battled back well. You know, he got hammered the first inning, and the Cubs were at a point where they just needed him to get through four or five innings. They, he was just going to have to wear that one. And he really battled back, and he got his composure together, and he went out, and he, he battled, and he pitched, I think, two-plus. I can't remember if he finished all three innings, but he got into the fourth. Um, really battled back and, and threw some good pitches after that. If he's locating, he's a guy who can get some outs. So we'll see. I think I kind of like him in the bullpen role because he can kind of amp it up a little bit, amplifies his fastball a bit. He has quite a few pitches, so he can kind of pare it down to his whatever he's feeling best with that day. Um, but as the Cubs get to these games and they're, you know, in the in the race, things are going to matter more. I'm still not going to call very many games, you know, absolute must wins. But every game takes on a little bit more importance. And tomorrow will be a little bit more important than today. And Sunday will be a little bit more important than tomorrow. And, you know, at the end of the season, you know, those games in mid-September are more important than the games in mid-August if you're still in the race. So they're going to have to keep continuing to build on this. And they're going to have to continue to show that if guys are struggling, that they're going to set egos aside and, you know, drop a guy down in the order or take him out of the lineup for a couple days. And I think right now... We've kind of seen that with everybody, except right now there are a lot of people calling for Ian Happ, and I get it. I, I can argue it kind of either way. I mean, I think I think the logic of having Happ third is that you've got Mike Talkman or Nico Horner leading off, depending on whether it's right-handed or left-hander. Um, I could certainly argue that Mike Talkman should continue to play against lefties. Um, I'll tackle that one in a second. But for Ian Happ, he takes a lot of walks, and even when he's not hitting, his on-base percentage has still stayed pretty high. So I think there's a, a thought there that you know if he's three and Bellinger's four, the way Bellinger's been hitting, it gives Ian Happ a little protection in the three spot. Like you can't just kind of ho-hum, okay, we walked Ian Happ, we'll get the next guy because the next guy's probably a better hitter. And on the flip side, you know if you've got Cody Bellinger coming up, you want him to come up with guys on base. And so Ian Happ gets on base enough, especially following, you know, Horner and, or Talkman and Horner or Horner and whoever's batting second, that uh, you want him coming up with guys on base. So putting Happ in front of Bellinger makes some sense. Happ has struggled lately with, you know, runners in scoring position and kind of those high leverage moments. But on the season, if you go to Fangraphs and look at, you know, leverage splits, his high leverage splits are better than his low and medium level splits. So on the whole, he's gotten it done. And it's not all walks either. I mean, he's got a higher, his highest batting average when you break it down by low leverage, medium leverage, and high leverage, his highest batting average is high leverage. His slugging percentage is probably highest in the medium leverage, but his batting average and on base percentage are high on both. So he's, on the whole, he's getting it done in key spots. We just certainly remember the ones where he doesn't, like Wednesday night. So the Cubs now hit into a stretch where they've got this series against Toronto. This is a good Toronto team. You know, it's a another team from the AL East, and the Toronto is very much battling for position. They're not – they're playing pretty good ball right now. They've won six of their last ten, but they're not super hot. And it, it's a team that, you know, 
they're going to give the Cubs a tough matchup. But we're in August playing meaningful baseball against good teams, so you're going to get tough matchups. So hopefully the Cubs can continue to do what they've done against a lot of these teams so far this year. They've won a lot of series against, you know, good teams. This one's on the road. It's going to be a little tougher, but they beat New York two out of three before the All-Star break. And if they can at least get one, don't get swept, sort of salvage a, you know, not the road trip you want it to be. But I think this team is, has shown that they'll battle. I think there's definitely a winning spirit in the clubhouse. You've seen Dansby Swanson talk about it. I mean, this team feels like they should be winning, and they are frankly doing a lot of the little things to win. they got to get back to scoring more runs, though. Then you come home, and, and then is the stretch to go make a run. I mean, they come home. They've got two next week against the White Sox, and then a day off before they start a weekend series against the Royals. The Royals have been playing good baseball lately, and Nelson Velasquez just got promoted, so good luck to Nelly in Kansas City, but that's not a great baseball team. Then they go on the road for three against Detroit and four against Pittsburgh. And the Cubs are not going to continue to win every game against Pittsburgh forever. So, you know, I don't necessarily expect a four-game sweep. But the Cubs have gotten gotten it done against Pittsburgh this year. And, you know, through that stretch, that's a that's a 12-game stretch. They're not going to go 12-0. But there's probably no reason they can't go 8-4, and 9-3, 10-2. So that's a time where they can get some stuff done. Then they've got a good division stretch with three against Milwaukee and four against Cincinnati add on, you know, homestand against San Francisco and Arizona. And so they're going to bounce back and forth the rest of the way between, you know, having a really light schedule and playing some weaker teams and then having some really key series that are going to be big in the wild card race. I mean, the Cubs are trailing San Francisco in the wild card race, trailing Milwaukee in the division race. They're right there with Cincinnati in both. They're, they've just recently passed Arizona in the wild card race, but Arizona's still around, at least at this point. Um, and then you want to set yourself up because the last week of the season, depending on who's still in play and who's competing, you know, if, if the Cubs are still in play for something, um, you don't know who else will be in play for buys or home field or whatever. But the Cubs end the season with a six-game road trip in Atlanta and then to Milwaukee. So you're going to want to do a lot of damage and set yourself up well to maybe do some damage and maybe – since something that last weekend that's a long ways from now with a lot of baseball in between, but continue to watch. I think the the theme right now is that sense of urgency. You know, the Cubs have it. They need to play with it. It means that, you know, I, I don't think the Cubs lacked urgency in New York. I think they just didn't play well and didn't execute, but I think this team is going to have to continue to step it up and continue to meet challenges. They're going to play some of these bad teams, are not going to be the same team that was bad the first half of the season. Sometimes they're going to turn it over to some kids, and they might see some kids who get a spark. I mean, remember the the Cubs had such a good second half run last year, you know, behind pitching of Assad and Adrian Sampson and you know some Brandon Hughes in the bullpens, like some guys you hadn't really heard of were making a lot of noise. And the year before, the Cubs had a decent second half, at least for a while after they traded away Rizzo and Bryant and Baez. Because it was, you know, the Schwindy City. Schwindel, Rafael Ortega just kind of got hot when they got a chance to play. And so they're going to play some teams with those guys, and you just have to find a way. Like this Mets team that beat them two out of three this weekend, this is not the same Mets lineup that lined up early in the season and everybody expected to be, you know, among the cream of the crop. You just have to line up and play the team that you're lined up against, and that's what the Cubs are going to have to do every day. And the number one thing they can do is continue to play – consistent good baseball 
if they do that, they're going to be in this race for a really long time. They, they may not make the playoffs this year. Um, I never predicted them to. I thought they had a shot. I predicted them at 83 wins, maybe potentially up to 85. I still kind of feel like that. You know, we talked through the standings last week and kind of projected wins, and I think it's going to take 85, 86. I think some team with 85, 86 wins this year is probably sneaking into the playoffs. I could be wrong. That number could pop up to 86, 87. But, you know, if the Cubs can get in that 84, 85 win ballpark, I mean, they're going to be in the race down to the very end as long as they can avoid, you know, a big losing streak or a long stretch of inconsistent bad baseball. They, if they keep playing the way they've been playing, they're going to be in this race for a long time, and it's a lot of fun. So enjoy it. Let's see if the Cubs can do some damage in Toronto and then come home and hopefully take care of business against some weaker teams. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPSPlus. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. As always, the music for this podcast is from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!